In Acts chapter 5, we find the strange account of Ananias and Sapphira, who bring sin into the church for the first time, and both of them have their lives taken from them. What is going on here? And I'm glad God does not take the lives of sinning people today. What is God trying to teach us through this account? Today, Ananias and Sapphira explained. As Acts chapter 5 opens, the church is in its infant state. It is somewhere around 25,000 people to this point. And the church has been going well. The Holy Spirit has come upon the church in Acts chapter 2. There are about 3,000 people saved on the day that the church is reborn. They move along in the apostles' doctrine, prayer, fellowship, and the breaking of bread. And then when Peter and John are going into the temple and pray, they heal a man who had been lame his entire life for 40 years. And the commotion causes a few more thousand people to get saved. But it also brings the first opposition from outside of the church. And that is the Sadducees, who don't believe in a resurrection. And they arrest them. And then they tell them that they are not to preach in the name of Jesus Christ anymore. Peter sees the absurdity of this point and says, if it is for healing a man who was born blind that we are in trial, then you decide, is it more important for us to obey God than man? And so warning them further, they let them go. They went back to the church. They prayed for boldness. God shook the room they were in and they spoke the word of God with more boldness. And then the Bible tells us something very unique about the early church, something that didn't go on for long and something that's not happening today. It says in Acts 4, 32 through 37, Now the multitude of those who believed were in one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that anything he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each one according to their need. And Joseph, who is also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now what's happening here is that people are bringing money to the apostles. The apostles are distributing the money among the needy. They're selling what they have and they're having all things in common. We're never told that God wanted this to be done. Eventually they will rise up deacons who will care for the poor and the needy. But I see a problem with this system. In Matthew 6.1, Jesus had said, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Don't do your charitable deeds to be seen. And now they're selling things and bringing them into the feet of the apostles. The apostles are important men, and at least there's the potential to be doing it to be seen by men. Now also, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 3, and 4, But when you do your charitable deeds, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. 
this is the principle for us to live by. Not bringing our money to an important person in the church or not letting people see when we give, but doing it in secret. So it's just between us and God. And then it's done by faith and not for the wrong motives. Now, as we watch this story unfold, remember some things in the Bible are prescriptive and some of them are descriptive. Prescriptive is when we are told what to do. This is done and so you also do likewise. There's a lot of that. But then there's also descriptive where things are done but we're not told to do them. This bringing the money in and laying it before the leaders is descriptive and not prescriptive. Now one more thing before we look at what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. Satan brings opposition inside of the church for the very first time in the book of Acts. That should not surprise us. We should know that we are under attack spiritually. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. We're also told in Ephesians 6:12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against a spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. So it shouldn't surprise us that in the early church, the enemy is trying outwardly to destroy it, but moves inwardly now. So let's take a look at what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. We find it in Acts chapter five, verse one says, but a certain man named Ananias, and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife being aware of it, and brought a certain portion and laid it at the feet of the apostles. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but you lied to God. Now, a couple of things are pointed out here. Number one, that Satan filled the heart of Ananias. That Peter said to him in verse three, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And for this reason, some very dogmatically will say that Ananias and Sapphira were not Christians because we've been given a new heart, because our hearts are now fresh and clean and they're not gonna be filled with all kinds of sinful things. Now, I don't know if that's really true. The scripture they use is Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now, the question is, can Satan still fill the heart of a believer? Yes, we've been given a new heart. Yes, we have been transformed. But can Satan still affect our heart? Listen to what James 4 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. He's not just talking about non-believers. He's talking to Christians. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart. Our heart is wicked and it still can be deceived. And it's not like God has given us a new heart and that we can't listen to the enemy and the Satan might not fill us up with some kind of a pride that we don't get tempted by him. Listen to what Acts 4.32 says. Now the multitude of those who believed were in one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things that he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. 
What we do know for sure is that Ananias and Sapphira did not have one heart and one soul with the rest of the multitude. They wanted to give a portion, make it look like they had given everything so that they could get the applause, but still keep back some for themselves. They could have kept it. It wasn't about giving it. It was about giving it under false pretenses. And this is entering into the church. Now, if they were Christians, then God disciplined them. If they weren't Christians, then God took their lives from them for their pretenses. Either way, we should think of a couple of things. Number one, God wants to keep the early church pure because they need to be strong as a small but quickly growing work of God. This work is going to spread throughout the world and there needs to be a purity in the seed, as it were, to be able to grow. And Ananias and Sapphira were bringing in a sinful heart and a sinful attitude. Now, after just a couple of decades, the church has spread and we learn about all kinds of heresies, all kinds of wolves, all kinds of people rising up from within the church. Listen to what Paul says to the church of Ephesus. This is some 25 years after the beginning of the church. He says in Acts 20, 29 and 31, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in from among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember, for three years I did not cease to warn you every night and day with tears. Here he says, savage wolves are gonna come in from the outside and men are gonna rise up from the inside to draw people away. That is where the church was going, but it needed to be established first. And so God kept the seed pure to be able to do the work that God's called us to do. There are some two billion professed Christians on the earth today. Now, not all of them are Christians, but a good number of them have come to faith in Christ. And that all started way back in the book of Acts. Now, another thought that I have is that God wanted to show the severity of sin by making an example of sin when it first came into the church. We may not have a good idea how bad sin really is. It is destructive, it is deceptive, and it brings death. And so when these two people stood up and brought sin in the church, God dealt with it as a sign to show us how severe it is. The Bible tells us that sin brings death. This happened under the law as well. Remember, after the law of the Sabbath had been given, the next Sabbath day, the very first one, a man goes out to collect firewood. It seems like it was in rebellion. And God had them take that man and kill him. Because rebellion is bad. Sin is bad. And God wants us to know that. We can easily begin to believe in our heart that our sin is not as bad. And that's why we need to confess it. We need to take care of it and endeavor to walk in righteousness so that God could be lifted up and glorified. I'm glad that God is not taking the lives of everyone who is not honest and sincere today. But let me give you three thoughts in closing. Number one, a man without integrity is like a city without walls. In their day, if you had a city with walls, it was protected from outside attacks. And if you don't have integrity, you are like a city without walls. You can be attacked from the outside. When you walk in integrity, there is safety. There's another proverb that says, when you walk in integrity, you worry about nothing. The second thing is that nothing is hidden from the eyes of God, with whom we must give an account. God sees it all. 
And even though he might not deal with it now, he will deal with it either on the cross or with us one day. So let's make sure it takes place on the cross. Number three, sin is deceptive. We can deceive ourselves and Satan is a deceiver. So be careful, that's like a triple whammy. Sin's deceptive, we can deceive ourselves and Satan is the deceiver. Be aware of the lies that you may be living under now and ask God to reveal to you the truth. And may we learn from this lesson from the early church that sin needs to be dealt with. And may God continue to use us as part of the church reaching the lost world.